Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits who are working to make a difference for their community. Shopping local is important for Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more right now at parkpower.ca. Happy Christmas Eve Eve. Yes. Sorry, I had to do the math on that. Yeah. At the time that this episode drops, it is going to be the 23rd of December. Of December. So uh, tomorrow is Christmas Eve. For those of you who celebrate Christmas, I don't mean to presume that everybody who listens to the podcast celebrates Christmas. You may uh, celebrate Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or nothing at all. If, yeah. uh, if that's just how you roll. And that's perfectly fine. But we do celebrate Christmas in this house. And it is the Christmas time. <laughs> and it is the holiday season. So just a, a quick happy holidays from yeah. us to you. Whatever whatever holiday you observe, if you observe. We hope it's happy. We hope it's happy. And if you don't observe, we still hope you're happy. Yeah. Yeah. Just in general, we hope for happiness. Quite so an acceptable calendar resolution of your choice, indeed, and uh, and hopefully a little bit of time off to curl up in your favorite book nook with a nook book. You're very proud of yourself. You should see your face. We're getting into the busy part of the Christmas season, certainly for us. Yeah, the calendar is starting to fill with events. Indeed. So we will have actually recorded this episode quite early. Quite, quite early. Yeah, but as... Shh, don't tell them. As previously mentioned, I we told them in the last episode. They might have forgotten. Stop ruining the magic. Uh, as previously mentioned, we certainly do not read ahead before we record, so we are still following our rules, even if we did record a little early so we could have an episode canned that for That part's week. not against the rules, so we're okay. It's true. So I guess with that said, we'll do a brief recap of our previous chapter, chapter 13, in which uh, Addie Cox... Has a, a lovely meal <laughs> in a tavern that seems almost real, then decides to go and do a little bit of exploring all by her lonesome and plunges through an armoire into not Narnia. <laughs> into, I, okay, if I had run that workshop, if that had been my woodworking shop, I would have named it Narnia just because that's funny. Yeah, at least put a light pole in there or something. Right? Yeah. At any rate, that leads us into chapter 14. Of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. So we kind of smash cut to the crew getting together outside of the tavern and making their final preparations to begin the overland trek to Tor Camelot, which uh, we're told take probably about three hours. Yeah, I'm a little iffy on the time of day. It is? I think it's afternoon. I'm also under the impression it's afternoon. I think they had lunch at the tavern. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too, is that it was lunch at the tavern. Because we were we were iffy about when they came out of the maze. They must have spent 
the the morning in the maze, basically. Oh no, because they they camped after the maze. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then they came across the little animal village, which we will come to learn in this chapter is named Firstershire. Firstershire is a terrible name. And yes, and then they come across. And then Robin, Robin Hood. Hood and his merry so, band. Yeah. Captain. So it's yeah. probably lunch-ish time, early afternoon, probably. That's my guess. When we space out the book like this, it's hard for me to keep track of time of day. Yeah. <laughs> so forgive me. I'm pretty sure they spend the afternoon trucking it across the island. Yes. Okay. They spend about three hours in the afternoon. But uh, they haven't quite left yet. First and foremost, Torres's team is not going alone. Arthur has made it very clear that if they're- Whether and, they like it or not. Whether they like it or not, if they are, and I, I think this is almost a verbatim quote, if they're going to be entering his castle, uh, he wants to be there. So he and Robin Hood and the Merry Band are going to be joining them, despite the fact that Torres is clearly not happy with that. I chalked it up to him wanting to find a solution that didn't involve guns or mercenaries. Arthur? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably Arthur's motivation. I think he also just wants to be sure that maybe when the control gets flipped, he might be the one in control. Maybe. There might be a little bit of that. Torres, could it could be read a little bit as Torres just not wanting the extra people so they can move a bit faster. But I mean, they're going to be slowed down by Addy no matter what. Also, Addy kind of reads it as maybe he doesn't want any of Lang's people looking over his shoulder because he doesn't entirely trust Lang. And I was going to say, he is one of Lang's people. Well, they're contractors working for Lang, certainly. But in this chapter, number one, Addie actually has a kind of a spookums moment <laughs> with the statue of Lang in the town because she feels like its eyes are watching her wherever she goes. And it gives her this like really off-putting sensation that right. Lang is literally just watching her right then. Here's the thing. It could be. It could be. It is also a very common optical illusion Yes, when it comes to uh, sculptures and portraits, where the eyes are painted in such a way, looking forward, where the, they follow you. Um, I remember as a child taking a tour of the uh, legislature, our Capitol building, yep. and it's got these huge ornate portraits on the wall, right, mm -hmm. of, of all of these various dignitaries throughout time, and they're all painted that way so that the eyes follow you. Yeah, kind of. And the knees. The knees will also follow you. It's yeah. just the way they're they're situated, right? And Addie certainly chalks this up to that. Yeah. But in this scenario... It could be more. It's entirely possible that the eyes are following her. On the subject of Lang as well, we also get told in this chapter that he had a lot of control over the information on this island in an interesting way. Because Beckett mentions that they didn't have a ton of communication with the other two project managers, with Brand and Selvacan, and a lot of the information they were getting was just direct from Lang, because they were reporting to Lang, the other two teams were reporting to Lang, Lang was reporting back to them, and just being like, everything's a-okay, boss. Yeah, and so they didn't... everything went through a Lang filter. And Addy certainly is like, oh, and, and even when we were talking to Lang, he seemed to be of the opinion that everything was a-okay up until it wasn't, which implies to me that maybe he just didn't want to hear the bad news. Or was not passing along the bad news, if there was bad news. Maybe. He also made it pretty clear that you didn't really question no. Harris Lang. If you did, you quickly found yourself off the island and unemployed. Right? Yeah. Which is not great. No. And it just further heightens that, like, culture of paranoia and secrecy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, terrible work practices. It, it really is. Yeah. And it's really making me start to be suspicious that Lang is playing everyone for fools. Possibly. Like, uh, to perhaps get a little bit ahead of myself, it's made me reformulate some of my end boss theories here. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll touch on that in a bit, though. I'm sure. There's also a part of me that wonders if maybe Arthur Beckett is just worried that Torres is going to wreck something. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's also a little bit of that. He and his team are clearly proud of the stuff they've made. Well, and... They gush about it while they're going so, to the castle. So deeply invested. Yeah. Right? In this island, you don't want to see someone wreck it, even if they're doing it to save you. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I think that's a factor as well. We also touch on a couple of the other things that they've encountered that were clearly not part of Arthur's design project in the in the realm of swords here because they mentioned like we've seen the flying monkey we don't know who's involved with that do you know who the warg riders were and they're like you saw warg riders we thought that was still like a blueprint that's awesome and beckett's like uh, uh, we can't legally call them wargs that's trademarked yeah so apparently they've been calling them borsts which I hate. So does Addy. Oh, what a terrible, terrible name for something. Uh, you know, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. You're fired. Get out. It was terrible. Addy actually explicitly tells him to his face, you know what? I'm just going to keep calling the morgues and you can sue me later. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing. Arthur's clearly not happy with that name either. No, it's a terrible name. It was. Everyone knows it's a terrible name. Yeah, they, they need to workshop that one a little bit more. But they also... Don't know exactly who's responsible for them. They're like, theoretically, Tess Selvakin's team had the design specs for that. So it must be them. And Addy just kind of is like, yeah, and Dominic would never ride around on a warg. That would be low of him. And everybody's like, excuse me, how do you know Dominic Brand? And she was like, oh, shut up, Addy. Shut up, Addy. Yeah. And she couldn't back herself out of that. Opened her big mouth. So Torres at that point kind of sighs and formally introduces Professor Addy Cox. Arthur Beckett's like, oh, you're that Addie Cox who Dominic won't shut up about. And I went, oh, no. Yeah, so did Addie, actually. It was like, surely he couldn't always be talking about me. Here's the thing. In a different context, Addie would be so flattered. Maybe. Right? Like, if she were visiting this island legitimately as a player years from now when it's open and running... Right? Mm -hmm. To find out that she is known, that she is a known name on this island with a little bit of infamy, she would be flattered. Quite possible. Outright flattered. In this context, it's a little scary. Yeah. And Arthur kind of recontextualizes everything in this moment. It's like, oh, you're not the group's bard, you're the bait. Because you think that Dominic is behind this. And Addie kind of stands up for herself here. She squares her shoulders and she's all like, I am, excuse me, I am indeed a bard, <laughs> even if I am also the bait. <laughs> exactly. Good for you, Addie. Yes, you are legitimately useful, because just she, in more than one way. She has that base of pop culture knowledge. Yeah. Which is useful even if this is a realm that has no Hogwarts no The Witcher, no <laughs> World of Warcraft. Not legally. Yes. They actually run through a list of things they're sad they couldn't include. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, there was a lady who wanted to knit everybody house scarves. And, like, she's just, and she's just like, the three realms is just not the same. It's not the same. It's just not the same. But you can't mix too much pop culture in together, because no. some of it clashes. And also, some of it will get you sued. Yeah. You can have a wizard academy. Nobody owns that. But. Yeah. But you can't name it Hogwarts. Yeah, you got to be careful. Because somebody owns that. And you know, if you make it too close to Hogwarts, people might start to look at you a little askance. Mm -hmm. Universal Studios already has that lockdown. And then the lawyers come tromping out, exactly. and it's all bad. Exactly. So, speaking of tromping out, armed with this new information and with a uh, sense of uneasy camaraderie, Arthur and Robin Hood and the Merry Band and Torres's mercenaries <laughs> and Addie Cox. <laughs> 
all set out to head to Tor Camelot. And they barely make it down the road when they're confronted by an army. <laughs> an adorable little army of animals yeah. armed to the teeth. Yeah, like screaming for blood vengeance for the death of their mouse hero. And Arthur turns to them and goes, what did you do? Yeah, this is where we learn that they're the villagers of Furstashur. Uh, it's a terrible name. I'm sorry. It's a terrible name. I it's, get it. It's like the Borsts. Oh, what is with the terrible naming conventions? Like, I know you have to come up with something original, but name it well. Come on. Well, I mean, these are all tech nerds. They're not necessarily, like, <laughs> authors. At any, sure. at any rate, Arthur's like, well, this is a problem, and pulls out his smartphone, utterly shattering the illusion, and turns them off. And turns them off. They all just all freeze. Yep. And Addie's actually not like- Not even shut them down. They they just stop. Yeah. Like, mid-motion. And Addie is actually, like, horrified by this. because <laughs> she's it like, that's not fair. Utterly shatters the illusion oh, in it that does. moment. And also, she's like, oh, I kind of wanted to see if they could actually maybe win this fight a little bit. <laughs> I wanted to be defeated by these animals. Eh, they kind of earned it, but and, and it well, just—it just seems it. very unsporting to just stop them. Yeah, just turn them off. Poor things. This underscores a point that comes into play very shortly, actually, because they then skirt around the frozen army and start heading towards Tor Camelot, and they move with some assuredness right up until they reach like the area marker. Yeah. And then Arthur the and Robin Hood and the Merry Band all visibly become more tense and on edge. Because they're th- outside of their realm now. And that makes me think that Arthur only has control of the stuff in that realm. Makes sense. He could shut off the spiders in the maze. He could turn off the Sphinx. He can freeze an army of little forest creatures. But now that they're entering no man's land, he doesn't have that level of control. And they don't have that level of control. And I can see why that would then be very scary for yeah, them. Yeah, right. They've a been living comfortably for a few months in a realm that they have absolute control over. Or at the very least, that Arthur has absolute yeah, control over. Yeah, someone has control, Yeah, right? and now we're skirting into Dominic's territory or Tessa's territory, and they're the ones pulling the strings. Or, if I had to guess, Tor Camelot in the middle, which is nobody's territory. Or at least it's currently someone's territory we don't know whom. Right? Could be Tess, could be Dominic, could be uh, someone else. Character X that we haven't met yet. For yeah. all we know, there's an evil, dark, robotic lord. We've speculated. We've speculated. Irresponsibly. While they travel, Addie does have an opportunity to kind of chat with Arthur about, like, design things Stuff. and fantasy tropes that she would like to see. And he's like, yep, that's on the list. Yep, that's on the list. Yeah, she she's like, are there fairies here? Because this little pond would be a perfect place for them. And he's like, oh, yeah, they're on the list. You're not the first one to think of that. She also kind of notes how he does carry himself very kingly. She keeps kind of almost inadvertently comparing him to King Arthur because his name is Arthur and he's Mm -hmm. kind of the king of these people. Yeah. Even if not literally, certainly he's acting like their authority figure. They defer to him. They clearly like him. He's got a, a, a very easy kind of charm and leadership quality to him, which probably serves him well as, Oh uh, yeah. As a project manager. Yeah. She she notes that he's even, like, dressed better and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she keeps thinking of him as King Arthur. She finally just asks him what his rank is in the Society of Creative Anachronism. Yeah. I actually had to look up the SCA. I didn't know what it was. And he sheepishly admits that he's a member and actually a high-ranking member. He's a duke. Yeah. And, of course, this I loved. He turns it back on her. Oh, yeah, because he's she's like, obviously. well, obviously you're a member too then. Who, who are you? And she is a baroness. Yeah. Which means he outranks her. Yes. Which I think would have been funnier if it was the other way around. 
Yeah, but she, I believe, even mentioned that she had, well, she had dabbled in the Society of Creative Anachronism. She hadn't been doing it for a while because she's got, like, professor stuff. Yeah, that's true. She hadn't been as active in it. So, yeah. At any rate, they uh, make their way into sight of Tor Camelot. We finally get our first glimpse of this very fairy tale castle. She describes it as the Ur-Platonic ideal of a castle. When somebody yeah. says fantasy castle to you, That's what you and you and you draw it from just your mind's eye, this is what you draw. Yeah, right? It's it's very Disney-esque. Yeah, right? like an, a perfect castle. An impossibly tall spire in the middle and like crenellations on the walls and a moat and right? a drawbridge, yeah. The tower with the with the like conical tops and flags yeah. and it's overly perfect. Except she notices that it has solar panels and antennae on it. Well, I mean, it has to be powered, and it does it does control the island. Yeah. So they they do make an effort to try to conceal it, but to her trained eye, it's not perfect. <laughs> she would notice. Yeah. Now the unfortunate thing is that Tor Camelot, being designed as a castle, also is in a defensible position. Yes. So it's got it's, a moat. <laughs> not only does it have a moat, it's got basically like a field. Mm-hmm. It, there's no forest that runs right up to it because a forest could be used to sneak up on a castle. Yes. So no, castles are out in the open. Yeah, you have to walk through wide visible terrain to get there. And Addie's even thinking to herself, like, this would be a good spot to do an ambush if you wanted to ambush someone. And she kind of looks at Torres and he's like, yeah, I'm already on that. Don't worry. <laughs> she even asks him and his team to make sure they're making their perception checks. Right. She's like, got to check for traps. Got to remember to check for traps. This is the place where there's going to be traps. And they all kind of start moving through the grass towards the castle. Yeah. They find a statue. Yeah, which was the next or plot beat I was going to bring up. What's left of one? A sta- another one of the statues of what is presumably Lang. Yeah, we all assume it's Lang because all of the statues we've seen have been of Lang. And also, I mean, it seems to bear some of the hallmarks of all those existing statues of Lang, but this one has been damaged and the face has been damaged. So you yeah, can't like be 100%. Like someone toppled it and smashed it. Like yeah. There are statue pieces everywhere. And that brings up the question of who doesn't like Lang enough that they were toppling those statues. Right. And that's another weird clue that points away from the direction of Dominic Brand, because as previously established, his is the team that were building those statues. Right. So why would they be toppling them? Right. This this really points to unfriendly territory. Yeah. Because in the realm of sword, the statues of Lang are all still up. Even if Right, Arthur is still loyal to Lang. Yeah, but I and I mean Arthur and his team all kind of sheepishly admitted they weren't super keen on the statues of Lang, but they haven't been toppling them. Yeah, no, this isn't an angry rebellion. Right? No, they just they just thought aesthetically it was kind of stupid. Dumb. Yeah. And and again, Dominic's team is the one we've been told were building the statues. They were the ones who were gung ho for Harris Lang statues. Does mm. that point at Tess? We don't know. I don't know. We don't know much about Tess Selvacan and her team at all. No. And her team, anything. arguably, are the ones who are controlling the the Borsts. I'm going to keep. Name. I'm going to keep calling them Borsts because the name is so terrible. I'm keep calling it a terrible <laughs> name. I hate it. Which is starting to make me wonder if maybe it's Tess Selvakin's team who've gone rogue. Maybe. I don't know. Like, maybe we find Dominic's team and team up, and now it's two-thirds of the island versus one-third of the island. Who's to say? I don't know. We just, we don't know because we haven't heard from the two other parties. True. Uh, We've also passed over uh, the bit about the raven, and I think we should talk about the raven. Yeah, um, it is mentioned that there is um, another drone that's spotted. Yeah. This one kind of raven-esque. Addie certainly considers that a raven would be more in fitting with Dominic's kind of, ironically, brand, huh. uh, than a flying monkey. 
Yeah. Which points to the flying monkeys being potentially one of Tess's drones. And here's the thing. Warg riders, flying monkeys, a lot of really villain-coded monsters working for Tess Selvacan right now, right? Right. Because uh, who, who had the flying monkeys? Wicked Witch of the West. Wicked Witch of the West. And warg riders aren't super-duper friendly. No. Right? No. So... Okay, but this means we've now had a monkey drone, a drone drone, and a raven drone. And we know that Arthur's team had the drone drones. Yes. Although why Arthur's team had drone drones and not some sort of character drone, I'm a little surprised. That was in the works. Well, fair enough. I believe he outright states that 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 was simply lower on the priorities, is dressing up their drones. (laughs) Dressing up their drones. Clearly the other two teams didn't feel that way. Right? But that's three drones for three realms everybody must know they're there. Oh, yeah. Everybody must know. Certainly they're of the opinion that at this point, everyone has to know that they've arrived. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're trying to be stealthy, right? They don't want to be caught or ambushed or hurt, but they don't have to be secret, I don't think. Well, at this this point, they're literally storming the castle. Yeah, exactly. Um, But the storming of the castle does not go well uh because well, almost we haven't even made it to the castle that's the problem yeah because almost immediately one of the merry band like disappears Whoa! into the grass and another one goes after them and also disappears into the grass my assumption is maybe pit traps yeah that, that was my guess invisible hole slash trap because we've already seen pit traps yep. leading into a maze so i hope they don't fall into another maze well probably not we'll have to wait my guess see. would be if you're falling into a giant hole as a safety measure around a castle it's probably much worse. My guess is that it's not monsters attacking them because, number one, um, while Tess's team clearly was aware of them sooner, my guess is that she doesn't know that they're necessarily moving on the castle right now. Right. Whereas Dominic's team does know that they're moving towards the castle, if his team did indeed have the raven, but they just got that information. They haven't had time to act yet. So my feeling is that it's the traps that we were forewarned about yeah. that surround and protect the castle. Yeah, I think Because, you're right. again, we've surrounded our control center with impassable traps and a really easy password. To be fair, in Arthur's defense, he was like, I didn't think anyone was going to actually need to use it. Yeah, the password is one ring to rule them all, just with the capitals <laughs> at the end of every word. Yeah, which is actually kind of smart, but still not great. Like, yeah, even his own team is like, <laughs> really? Come on, man. <laughs> So yeah, and that uh, that basically takes us to the end of the action in this chapter. Yeah, and the end of the chapter. Yeah. After this action. I'm going to circle back to my thing about Harris Lang. Yes, yeah. Um, because between Addie having her weird moment with the statue and learning more about the fact that like all the information on the island was filtering through him, it does make me wonder if he's the puppet master. There are things that point back in that direction. Like, Lang could be the secret villain behind this all, and he could be playing all three of the design teams against one another for some reason. For some sick game of his own billionaire design. Because he is very wealthy and very bored? Maybe. Maybe. That could literally be it. Weirder things have happened. I mean, yeah, maybe. And then he sent a team of armed mercenaries into the island just to see if they could crack it. Because his own people haven't been able to in months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Like, that's... That this is the weird, sick, like, alpha testers theory mixed in, right? Like, it's... It could be... He he activated the island on the design team to see if the design team could solve the problem of the island. Yeah. And they failed. And they failed, so he sent in So he had to send in specialists. To see if they can do it. Yeah, I don't know. It's possible. I'm I'm still not ruling out 
artificial intelligence dark lord who's taken over the island. Really? That I'm, I've, I've, in my head, I call that like the uh, the Ultron version. Create something that wants to kill you. My worry is that Addie Cox is wrong genre savvy. That she's she's really narrowly seeing herself in this fantasy story, but she's failing to realize that the fantasy story is in fact paint over top of a science, <laughs> science fiction, fiction story. story. Right? I know we talked about this. Yeah. I mean, maybe. At this point, maybe. Yeah. We, there are so many open ends that I genuinely don't know. It could be a lot of things. And right. I'm excited to see what they are. I think that's a pretty good wrap-up point. Last chapter, we had a lot of, like, stuff to discuss around not too much action. This time, a lot of action, not too much stuff to discuss around it. That's okay. I suspect we'll have more to discuss when we find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, As we move into chapter 15 of our novel, you'll want to read up over the holidays (laughs) on that one in time for next week. Uh, In the meantime, you know, what, what else needs to be said? It's the holidays. Just a big shout out to the good people at Alberta Blue Cross, helping people out when they need it. Uh, We appreciate them and their support, and uh, we would like you to maybe consider them if you need their services. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business. And Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Alberta Blue Cross. You can find out more about them and the other sponsors of the podcast by checking out albertapodcastnetwork.com. Of course, other member podcasts there to check out. You should definitely show them a little bit of love as well. Oh, please do. Download them on your podcatcher of choice. Yes. Probably where you're downloading this podcast. You could give us a little rating and review. Oh, we would appreciate it. Yeah, it would be like a little present to us for the holidays. You could also reach out to us with your happy holiday wishes via social media. Yes. Whichever one you like best, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads are where we are. We are at The Read Along. We try to be easy to find. Yeah, you can also send us an email. Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, happy holidays. We love you very much. And we'll see you next time. Next chapter is either going to be nobody move or everybody falls in a hole. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. 